when I walked into BMQ, all eyes were on me, you know, small little Asian girl. <laughs> but when I was promoted to platoon leader, I definitely showed uh, who I was. You know, I'm, I'm used to people looking down on me and not expecting anything from me. And that actually drives me more to be better than them, you know, to be better than what I was yesterday. Hi, I'm Shannon Busta, and you're listening to For Her Country, a podcast produced by the True Patriot Love Foundation and the Captain Nicola Goddard Fund. Over the course of this series, we'll explore lessons in leadership from inspirational female leaders from across Canada's armed forces, all in honor of fallen Canadian military hero, Captain Nicola Goddard. The clip you just heard was from able seaman Yvette Yang. Yvette is a Navy reservist who also happens to be ranked number one in the world for Taekwondo. She's also a fitness instructor and leads a program teaching Taekwondo to kids. Yvette joined the Navy in 2010 as a reservist and has held the role of Naval Communicator at HMCS York in Toronto, where she works as part of the Operations Department. While giving it her all in the Canadian Armed Forces, Yvette has also represented Canada on the global athletic stage as a member of Canada's National Taekwondo team. And her two worlds merged in 2019 when she won the World CISM International Athlete of the Year Award from the International Military Sports Council. Yvette is the first Canadian athlete to receive this award, which recognizes fair play, personal empathy, and discipline. Yvette, it is so great to have you on the show today. I'm really excited to dig into your super interesting life. I'd like to start off our conversation today by asking you what you do for a living. Sure. Military side, I am a naval communicator at HMCS York. I swore in in February of 2010. So I've been in the military since 2010. Uh, it's 2020 now, so 10 years I've been in uh, the Canadian Forces. Uh, city side, I am a full-time athlete uh, in the sport of Taekwondo. Uh, have been competing since, oh, I can barely remember now, uh, my first competition when I was nine years old. I'm 30 today, so you, you guys can do the math. <laughs> I've been doing it for a long time. Uh, I'm also a fitness instructor um, at a uh, all-female um, gym in uh, East Toronto in Leslieville and I also run a Taekwondo program uh, and kids program after school program at uh, the same club for uh, Taekwondo as well. That is pretty cool. I don't know many professional athletes so I'm really looking forward to digging into that uh, later on in our conversation but for now I would love to start with the military side of your life. Can you tell us what led you to join the military in the first place? Oh man so I actually did not seek out the military. Um, it was actually at a, I believe it was a Canadian national championships uh, for Taekwondo. I was competing there and a military member, uh, Natalie Bergenslin, she actually approached my mom. Uh, she didn't approach me, she approached my mom and uh, talked to her about uh, the military. And she saw me, I, I guess she saw the way I was uh, leading my, my team, uh, you know, talking to my members and also how I, uh, was you know just just the way I was in front of people my my demeanor and you know my attitude and everything she talked to my mom uh, <laughs> and she uh, she talked to her about me joining the military 
And you know, us, like we, my parents were immigrants. I was born here actually. We knew nothing about the military. Uh, so, you know, everybody thinks that when we join the military, the first thing we think of is war. We go to the front lines, you know, people who are uneducated about the military, we, we know nothing about it. So instinct, we thought, oh my gosh, I don't want to send my daughter to war. <laughs> so uh, she, she gave her more information and, you know, she told us to look, uh, look it up on, on the internet, you know, look up all the different, uh, the trades, uh, you know, the Navy, the Air Force, the, the Army, you know, choose something that I would be interested in. So, you know, we, at first we, we, we looked into it and was like, oh my gosh, I, I'm, too, I'm too scared. Like, I don't, I've never held a gun or a rifle or anything in my life. And, and can I just interrupt you there, Yvette? How old were you at this point? I'm just trying to picture here what age you were when you were contemplating whether or not to go into a career where you might have to hold a gun. Yeah, <laughs> I was, gosh, how old was I? I think I was 19 years old. I, I just finished high school. Uh, so, you know, I, I was never around like guns or, you know, the closest thing that I had to a weapon was like a toy sword, you know, <laughs> like, uh, and like these little pellet guns and stuff like that, that we would play when I was younger, but nothing, you know, so real, you know, like when, when you, they say military, it's, it's so real. And it's only the things that we've seen on TV because we weren't really educated about the military. But when we started looking up online and, and looking at the, things that we could do for our country you know i talked with my mother i actually talked with my entire family and we thought it was such a great thing to do because you know my parents came from malaysia they immigrated here and canada opened them up with open arms like they they welcomed them with open arms and you know we thought it was such a great idea to give something back to to the country and you know Yvette, join the military, <laughs> get back to the country for us. And, you know, I was like, okay, you know what, let's do it. Because I, I really, I, I'm so proud to be Canadian and I'm so happy that uh, I was born here because it's such a wonderful country. So welcoming, you know, like I, I just love it so much. And I, I felt like it was the right thing to do. So I joined and I joined the Navy. And so I have two questions for you here. First, why the Navy? And am I correct in understanding that you joined as a reservist? I did. I joined as a reservist because I was actually in university um, during that time that I was recruited. Uh, I joined the Navy because I've lived on the coast all my life. And I lived in Vancouver. Uh, so I was born and raised in Vancouver. And, you know, I was thinking about it. I was like, the earth is what 71 percent water i'm like there's a whole other world out there and i really i, I loved exploring and i want to explore that world like 71 percent is filled with water just think about it that's 29 percent that we're on land and i feel like i know everything about our earth already so 71 percent is water want to join the military join the navy go into sea and see what it's all about so that's what I did. That is such a cool reason to join the Navy. And you mentioned that you were still at university when you joined. So can you help us civilians understand what it actually means to be a reservist and what the time commitments are and how it factors into your everyday life? Right. So as a reservist, we are required to do uh, a minimum amount. So the minimum, I think, is about once a week we go into the unit um, with our department and, and we learn and we teach each other. And, you know, we do we do uh, a lot of exercises, you know, together. Uh, and I think per month it's maybe like 
five or six times a month, but that's the minimal, right? So if you're if you think that you know as a reservist you don't have the time, that's that's not the case. Like you can always find the time to do that. And the thing is, they're very lenient on on the times because they know that as a reservist, you're not a full-time military. You still have a life outside of the military, but you want to commit some time in the forces. And that I think that's a really great thing. So that that let that allows us to do both at the same time. And like I love it. I really appreciate it. And the thing is that we can see both worlds, you know, civilian and military. Like it's such a great thing to have the reserve force. And so you mentioned having to commit about one day a week, but how much time are you actually spending? Is this a few hours? Is it an entire day? Uh, we're required to go in uh, once a week uh, in the evening. So it's about like a three hour um, night training night. And then we're required to go one day on the weekend uh, in the month. And when you join the reserves, do you have to go through basic training in the same way that fully enlisted individuals do? Yes. So I was so lucky to do the last regular force BMQ. So that means that I went to, uh, I actually went to Halifax. I went to Shearwater and I was there on a nine week course away from home. Uh, it was the last Reg Force BMQ, and I'm so, so happy and thankful that I did that because there are some things that you just can't experience in a um, weekend kind of training, right? So they've changed the training um, recently to, I think, having uh, weekend training so you don't have to stay there the entire time. You can go back home and then go for every weekend and stay there in the unit. And then we do like a, a two-week course in another place. I'm not, I'm not sure how they changed it, but I, I know that I was lucky enough to be on the last Reg Force um, BMQ, and that really changed my life. It really did. So I want to ask you why that is, but before we jump into how it changed your life, I've got to ask for myself and our civilian listeners, what does BMQ mean? BMQ is Basic Military Qualification. You have to pass this to be in the military. That's the first step to um, being in the military. Okay, great. Thank you for that. And so can you help us understand how this basic military qualification training changed your life and why? I can definitely do that. <laughs> um, nine weeks away from home. I'm like 19 years old. You're there with, I don't know how many people were in my platoon. There, were, there was a lot. Um, and we were just these, there was like teenagers. And there were some uh, older people there too. And the thing is like when you put a group of people together who are suffering <laughs> through that entire nine weeks, we create this huge bond that will last forever. You know, when you, you live together, you eat together, you, you struggle together, you know, you are deprived of sleep together. You create this bond that is so strong that you can't find anywhere else. You know, like for the first month, we weren't allowed to even have our cell phones, but they were taken away from us. Yeah, can you imagine that? <laughs> um, you know, uh, for civilians, you know, one day without internet and like you're you're going crazy, right? So, yeah, that really um, showed us that you know, the human uh, connection and that bond is can be so strong, and and you know, those like a group of people together, you can really survive without anything else. 
That's really beautiful. And did you ever have any moments of doubt during your nine weeks in basic training? Uh, you know what? I really actually enjoyed basic training. I loved it. It was one of the best experiences of my life. Um, it put me through heck. Like I, we were sleep deprived. Uh, each of us had to be the platoon leader for a good amount of time. And it really put us on the spot of being a leader of the whole group. And it was very interesting to see how other people uh, were becoming leaders, you know, because I, lucky for me, in the sport of Taekwondo, I feel like in, in, in all um, sports, we have this kind of natural leadership already, you know, because of all the training that we do, we, we've suffered through training, we know what it's like to um, be so tired and have to keep training and to have a whole team with you and to keep them going at the same level you are. So I was lucky enough to have that kind of, um, you know, training already, that kind of that mindset. So going into uh, BMQ, I was already ready. And I knew that I had to step up and, you know, encourage my, my fellow um, uh, platoon members to, to, you know, have that same kind of mentality. It sounds like you were naturally finding yourself in leadership roles very early on. So you've been in the military now for 10 years. Can you walk us through a timeline of your career thus far? Right. So when I joined in 2010, uh, side, I was still in university and still competing competitively. And I couldn't go to BMQ until I was in 2000, summer of 2012, I believe. And uh, lucky that was the last year of the reg force. <laughs> Uh, and then after a few years at my, after another year after BMQ at my unit in Vancouver, I actually moved to Toronto and I joined the uh, unit here called HMCS Discovery. Oh, sorry. HMCS Discovery was in Vancouver. HMCS York is in, in Toronto. And so with HMCS York, what kind and, of roles have you held? Uh, so I work in the ops department at HMCS York. Uh, I work with um, our fellow NAVCOMs in there. Uh, every training night, uh, our training night, I believe, is on Wednesday. Uh, we come and we see everybody. Everybody is there. Um, we do our regular training schedule. Everybody's in their own departments. So we do a lot of lectures um, with other trades. So we learn what they're doing and they learn what we're doing. So we're all a whole unit there. Um, so that's how we that's how we do it every training night. Can you give a bit of a more detailed account of what the work that you're doing for the armed forces really looks like to help our audience understand a bit better? Right. So I work as a NAVCOM in the Navy. So Naval Communications, they they establish and manage all like external voice, radio teletype and data circuits and um, you know, they provide real-time tactical information in support of like operation. Basically, we take care of all the communication coming in and out of every unit. So on the ship, when I'm sailing, I work in the CCR, which is the communications control room. And uh, it's pretty cool because our level of uh, security clearance is top secret. <laughs> it's cool to say that to people, you know? <laughs> that is pretty cool. Yeah. So we basically know everything that comes in and out. We're the first people to, to see that information. We're the first people to see if there's a distress call or, or anything coming in. Basically like paramedics in the sea. 
What is it like to have top secret clearance? I feel like most people's experience with this comes from television. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that was me before I joined, right? Um, so <laughs> it's it's pretty easy, you know, like to keep your, your job to yourself. You know, we know that it's, uh, you know, it's serious. You know, things have to go in and out. We know, we, we respect the privacy of everybody. You know, so anything that comes from anybody on the ship to our, uh, you know, CEO, our commanding officer, that's all private to them. And we totally respect their privacy. So everything that we see, everybody knows that we're the ones that know everything, right? All the information that came, comes in and out. So it's, it's really, um, like, we're, we're very respected in that way. I'm wondering if it has ever made forming relationships with your colleagues difficult because they know that you have visibility into information that other people don't. Uh, no, people, we're, I, think, I think we're the cool ones on the ship. <laughs> we have access to computers. We have access to all the information, you know, like <laughs> if anybody wants any gossip, <laughs> I'm not saying I do. <laughs> But, uh, you know, we, we have access to internet on the ship. Okay, so I'm getting the sense that most people don't have internet? No, we do not. Okay, this leads right into my next question, which is, what is it actually like to live on a ship? Oh, boy. So I went for a search and rescue in uh, 2018. It was about uh, almost two months. So we went, we sailed off... Uh, on the west coast um and honestly my the first time i set foot on that ship so we had to take a we had to take a, a smaller um boat a rib all the way down to where the ship was docked uh further out into the water once i was on there honestly i couldn't even pay attention to anything I was so seasick. Some people were so seasick the entire time. They couldn't do anything. We had to take a gravel every day. Yeah, it was a worse experience for me in the first and second day. I could not do anything. But then do you get over it? Yeah, some people do get over it. Uh, unfortunately for me, it was on and off. Uh, <laughs> um, but, you know, it, I learned to deal with it because I knew I had nowhere else to go and I didn't want to get off the ship. So uh, I, I learned to deal with it, took a gravel. We, um, they were very understanding because, you know, it's something that we can't help, right? Um, so <laughs> first two days I couldn't eat anything because it would just <laughs> come out. Uh, but after the third day, I think it, I, my body got used to it. My mind got used to it. Uh, something really cool that uh, civilians don't know is that in our uh, in our rooms and our beds we actually have a seatbelt, so in case the ship is going side to side, we don't roll off. And how did that go for you? Were you actually able to sleep with the seatbelt? Oh, absolutely not. <laughs> I could. The ship's going side to side. You you can't help it. Uh, but eventually you get used to it. You just got to imagine that you're you're on a, a swing or like a hammock or something. But, you know, the sea state can change at any time. And can you take us in, inside the ship? I'm very curious about what your living accommodations are actually like. Oh, boy. it's If you are claustrophobic, it's going to be very hard for you. Uh, our living um, situation, it's quite, it's a ship. I mean, you go inside the ship, it's not going to be high ceiling, right? So 
a lot of <laughs> a lot of the bigger guys have to duck sometimes when you go into certain rooms. <laughs> yeah. Well, for me, fortunately, it's great. I'm short. I'm small. I can get into anywhere. It's good for me. Um, yeah, but other than that, it's it's quite small. Uh, you have to have really good balance. <laughs> Once we, we dock and we get onto land, like everybody's feeling, they're walking side to side. Like that's what I felt like. My mind, my, my brain was going side to side. It was so hard. After that uh, two month sail, I came off and I was walking. I could feel myself in my bed going side to side. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Catherine Russ. Captain Nicola Goddard was my sister and I'd like to make a request. Military service can bring great challenges and sacrifices. Women in particular can face unique issues. Help True Patriot Love and the Captain Nicola Goddard Fund support Canada's servicewomen, veteran women, and their families. True Patriot Love Foundation is a national organization that supports the military and veteran community by funding critical programs across the country. Please consider donating today towards their mission at tplgoddardfund.com. No donation is too small. On behalf of my family and the Captain Nicola Goddard Fund, we thank you for your support. This episode is sponsored by James Villeneuve and Kim Walker in honor of their eight family members who served during World War II. We honor the service and sacrifice of their family members and thank James and Kim for their generosity in sponsoring today's episode. All right, Yvette, I'm wondering if there are any really memorable stories that have stayed with you from your time out at sea. All right, so there was one that I, that I really enjoyed. Uh, it was because I got to show my, uh, my, the sports side of my, my career on, on ship. We were on ship, you know, the morale was kind of like low. Uh, we were in the middle of the water in the sea, and we docked in the middle of the water. And our uh, CEO decided to, you know, have a have a day for for just us and to you know hype up our morale. And I had a great idea to. I, I brought one of my chess cards uh, for Taekwondo on ship. It was one of these electronic chess cards that you could kick and punch and everything. And I was like, can I please teach them how to kick and punch on ship? We had a boxing bag there. And so we had an event called the, the uh, Edmonton Olympics. Uh, HCS Edmonton was our ship. And uh, so we called it the, agency, uh, the Edmonton Olympics. So we had um, different uh, you know, stations, one for kicking and punching, one for you know, tactical, and one for um, going on the on a rib which is like paddling around the, our ship and uh, one for you know a CPR and a firefighting and so I really got to show the people on my ship what I did because you know they, they, they didn't know what I did and it was really fun because I got to teach them how to kick how to punch and we had just an amazing day that they really got us closer as a crew it was such a great day and I, I, I remember it so vividly because everybody was so happy and after that day, you know, our morale was boosted. It was it was such a great day after that and, and for the remainder of our sale. It must have been so nice to be able to bring this other part of your life into your military world. 
And so you've mentioned a few times your Taekwondo background and that it's a big part of your civilian life. I'm super curious about that. How did you get into Taekwondo? My dad was a Kung Fu instructor in Malaysia. My mom was a track and field athlete in Malaysia. Naturally, I love sports. Uh, so unfortunately for my, my older sister, my younger sister, they were not very athletic. So I guess I took that all in my genes. Um, so I actually wanted to join a Kung Fu school near my house, but we couldn't, we couldn't find anything near. So the next best thing was a Taekwondo school and I joined as a birthday present. So it was kind of like a, like a surprise. Like I didn't know I was going to join Taekwondo. I wasn't looking for it. I was actually looking for Kung Fu school. I suspect that some of our audience is aware of your accomplishments, but most probably are not. Can you help us understand how your career in Taekwondo progressed since that surprise birthday gift? Uh, <laughs> well, I, I'm ranked number one in the world uh, in my division. Uh, which is just amazing. I can see our producer Katrina clapping in the background, like, well done. Yeah, I, it's, it's been an up and down winding roller coaster world, like journey uh, to get to world number one. Uh, I can't tell you how many things I've gone through, how many ups, how many downs, but, you know, in the end, it's, it, it's really worth it. And, um, you know, being in the military also helped me in my Taekwondo career as well, because, you know, the military and martial arts actually have almost the same teaching. So that's why I really resonate with the military. And uh, it, it really helped me because they have a lot of the same teachings, uh, you know, with ranks, you know, with respect, with, um, you know, persevering and, and reaching and accomplishing that goal, you know, so, so martial arts, and military are are very similar and it 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 helped me through my journey to becoming number one in the world you spoke so eloquently about how your martial arts background dovetails so perfectly with your military career when you were explaining how much you love basic training that isn't a story we've heard from a lot of people <laughs> i mean you can see katrina's face right like everyone we've talked to was just like would never do basic training again like oh I lost man i would pounds. do it all over again <laughs> and do you think that is because of your athlete background or is it absolutely because of, so mm -hmm. is it the physical difference or is it the mental preparation is it both it is both because it, as an athlete you're taught to you know when you train for something it's not going to be easy you can't just train one day and expect to be a champion. You have to go through ups and downs. You have to go through a failure. You have to go through loss. You have to go through all of that, right? And the military, like it, it teaches you that as well. It's it's almost the same teaching. In fact, it's I think it's the same, you know? <laughs> so. But instead of becoming a world-class athlete, you're becoming a world-class leader. Yeah, I feel like uh, an ambassador for, for the Canadian Armed Forces and, you know, I. I can find that connection, that gateway from being a, an athlete and, and uh, bringing it into the military, you know, as an athlete before and, you know, bringing that leadership, that mentality into the military. 
And I think that's part of what makes the Canadian military so great. You bring people from different backgrounds and you're all able to bring a unique skill set to your colleagues. I mean, your experience with the Edmonton Olympics, who would have thought? So you mentioned you feel like an ambassador and that made me think about your family and how as a family you decided that joining the Canadian Armed Forces felt like the right way to give back to a country that has given you all a fresh start. So I'd love to know, 10 years on, what your participation in the armed forces has meant for your family and what it continues to mean. Oh man, so I'm actually the first uh, person in my family, in, in my extended family also, to join the military. My mom, my, my dad, uh, my family are so proud to always say that I am in the military and that I am giving back to the country that welcomed them you know not only did my mom and my dad immigrate here also my aunts and my uncles you know so it's it's such a good thing and i and sometimes my my aunts and my uncles also uh tell other people as well you know they're so proud to have somebody uh represent our country and to stand on you know the front lines uh, basically for our country so they're, they're very proud and they're very thankful for that and they're thankful for me and I am so thankful that they are proud of that, you know, so I, I'm, I'm so thankful for everything. <laughs> I'm wondering if you have any advice for other Canadians from immigrant backgrounds who might be considering a career in the armed forces. I would definitely say that, you know, Canada is such a great country. They're so welcoming, you know, join the military. You meet so many people, you do so many things, you'll be so proud of what you accomplish in the military. You know, you travel, you meet new people, and you serve our country. You know, for me, I not only serve my country, but I also fight for my country in and outside of the ring, which is so good to, you know, to say to people. Um, I'm so proud to be an athlete representing our country and in the military, you know, feeling like an ambassador between a military and uh, an athlete. I, I'm so proud to be that, serving my country in, in both uh, arenas, you know. And, you know, immigrant families, if you want to give back to your, the country that welcomed them, definitely join the military. Uh, it's such a good thing. And I can hear the passion in your voice. And throughout our conversation today, I've gotten the sense that you've had such a great experience. And I think it's really interesting that both of your worlds tend to be very male dominated. And so I'm wondering what that experience has been like for you, being a woman in sport and being a woman in the Canadian Armed Forces, and if there have been any shared challenges. Yeah, I, I absolutely find it uh, challenging, uh, especially, you know, in the military, there's a lot of challenges because of my physical appearance, uh, my physical presence, you know, I could already feel eyes all on me, judging me when I walked into the recruiting room, you know, the way they looked at me. I'm, I'm a small little Asian girl, you know, I'm stereotyped to be quiet, to be submissive. And that was absolutely not my personality. I'm like super, my personality is big, um, you know, I'm happy. I, I love to make people laugh, you know. Uh, I, I face a lot of other challenges when, you know, people don't believe that I can excel in my job. You know, they, they expect me to be, you know, less than, you know, a male counterpart, you know, but uh, 
you know, it, things, it, it showed through in, in BMQ. Also, when I walked into BMQ, uh, all eyes were on me, you know, small little Asian girl. <laughs> but when I was uh, promoted to platoon leader, I definitely showed uh, who I was. You know, I, I showed my leadership, my loud voice, uh, my resilience, you know, leading the group. Um, it, it was easy for me, actually. You know, I'm, I'm used to people looking down on me and not expecting anything from me. And that actually drives me more. You know, it makes me more, um, it, it gives me such, um, it gives me a more powerful drive to be better than them. You know, to be better than what I was yesterday. So I, I appreciate that. And can you help us understand what it actually means to be a platoon leader? You're basically in charge of your entire platoon. So your platoon is like your, uh, your school, your entire school, all the classes in there, right? So your, let's say your commander will tell you some ridiculous thing to do. Like, Yvette, get your platoon, go upstairs, make them change, grab your water bottle, grab, grab your, put this uniform on in five minutes. And we all know that that is impossible, but they want to see how you are going to treat your platoon. They're going to see how you are going to lead them. They're going to see how you are going to encourage them, you know? And the thing with leadership is not to just yell. Nobody's going to respond to yelling. Yes, you need a loud voice, but to be a leader, you need to be understanding. You need to be, you need to put yourselves in, your uh, your people's shoes. So I know that, I, I knew that. So they gave me something in, in BMQ, they gave me some ridiculous thing to do. They told me to, same thing I told you, go upstairs, bring your platoon to go upstairs, change there, bring this and come downstairs in your gym gear. <laughs> How are you gonna lead that group? How are you gonna tell them without making them angry, without making them pissed off without this? You have to put yourselves in their shoes. So what I said was, listen, we're going to make this happen. I know it's not possible, but just smile. Just do it. We're a team. I don't want anybody to be left behind. If somebody is slower than you, it doesn't matter. We're going to stay there with them. The thing is to stay with your crew, to stay with your people. And so with that, the, my, um, you know, the commander was looking at me and they're like, and he looked at me and he's like, who are you? <laughs> you know, like it's, it's not normal for, for, you know, just normal civilian to, to be like that, to have that kind of leadership. And so I, I, I didn't say anything. I never said anything to any of them. And then they, they actually looked me up online and, and they said, ah, you're that Taekwondo champion. <laughs> right. And so they started being more hard on me. They started get, um, giving me more things to do. And I loved that. I absolutely love that. I love being challenged. I love being put on the spot because when you're put on the spot, you learn things. Things are never going to be prepared. You're never going to be prepared for anything. And that goes with life in general. Sometimes things are going to happen in front of you and you're just going to have to learn to deal with it. So I love being challenged. So that's why I never told anything uh, to, to them or to my fellow, uh, you know, mates and <laughs> members in, in my platoon. Uh, so yeah, BMQ was great for me. 
So you've definitely had to overcome certain stereotypes and prove some individuals wrong. I'm wondering if you have any advice for other women who might be trying to disprove stereotypes of their own or show skeptical colleagues just how capable they really are. Yeah, my advice is to, this is what my mom told me, because she's the one that really pushed me into all the things that I didn't want to do because I was afraid. Uh, she said, don't care what other people think, because they, those people are the ones that are not going to help you. They're not going to support you. You are your own support. So do not care what other people think. Do what you think is right. Do what you think that you can do and you will succeed. It sounds like you've had a really meaningful 10 years as a reservist. What are you hoping the next 10 years hold? You know, as a female athlete serving in the Canadian Armed Forces, I really hope to share my experiences and be a role model to the younger generation and, and to women. Through sport and military, I can educate more people and spread the word about military uh, so they can understand what it's all about. Yvette, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. It's been so interesting learning about your life in sport and your 10 years as a reservist. Thank you so much for giving me this opportunity to share my experiences in the military and as an athlete. And I really hope you guys all enjoyed that. And on our next episode of For Her Country, the final episode of this season, I speak with Master Corporal Natalie Forcier, who served for 14 years in the armed forces as a medic. Natalie and I discuss the challenges of leaving the service, transitioning to civilian life, and how she learned to put herself first. I spent a lot of my career where I was this ha happy person that could always get through stuff and there was never a struggle kind of thing. But after like my first and second deployment, I struggled with depression and anxiety, but everybody knew me as this happy, go lucky person kind of thing. So um, for me, the challenge was to accept my vulnerabilities, assess them, figure out what they are and, and grow from there. For Her Country is hosted by me, Shannon Busta. It is written and produced by me and Katrina Bolak. Our music is by Whiskey Wolf and Oceanic Piano. A special thank you to Catherine Rusk and the Goddard family and the team at True Patriot Love for their support throughout this project. And thank you to our episode sponsor, James Villeneuve and Kim Walker. This project was produced with the True Patriot Love Foundation and the Captain Nicola Goddard Fund. True Patriot Love is Canada's leading organization that's supports military members and their families. It administers the Captain Nicola Goddard Fund, which was started by the Goddard family in support of women in the military in honor of Nicola. To learn more about this podcast and the great work of this organization, please visit forhercountry.ca and consider donating if you can.